Hi everyone, I am Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social and I am I'm pleased to be here with a very special guest that I've known for many few many 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 years and you, and I've been quite impressed with all the fascinating stuff that you've been doing in terms of the BIM sector in terms of architecture kind of moving and shaking and you've done a few TED talks as well and you, try, you currently are BIM lead at Berkeley Modular and your background as well in BIM you're BIM manager and BIM lead at EPR Architects Rene Hello, how are you? Hi, Stephen. Are you good? Yeah, it's it's been more than five years, I think. So yeah, it's actually not not, not a short time. Um, <laughs> I just have to correct you. Not TED talks. I've been in Autodesk and, and some BIM talks. <laughs> it's just before people think I've been on TED. Oh, but, fair, uh, fair. Yeah. You will get you will get to TED talks one yeah, day. Later on, later on. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, cool. it's always good to have um, a goal in mind. But hey, it's fantastic in terms of Autodesk. That's really great. So, what's probably an important distinction? So recently, as well, we that we can briefly talk about your roots in terms of architecture. And currently, right now, what you do is you work effectively. You're working for Berkeley, a large, successful, very commercially driven, good projects as well developer. But let's go way back when. So. Your grassroots, in terms of you studied architecture, and your your background. Are you an architectural technician or technologist? No, architect. Yeah, mm. full an architect. So, studied in South Africa in my hometown. Um, yeah, I did all kinds of commercial and residential, all the way from big villas to little extensions to factories and stuff. Um, then came to the UK. Um, I had to kind of start not from bottom up, but just kind of um, you know relearn things that I you know didn't know. Um, you know, doing some some extensions in Knightbridge and some basements. Um, but I was I was always frustrated with the the way um, the architecture design process worked. It, just didn't feel right. It's uh, messy and, and rework. And um, when I kind of really looked at BIM, that's when I kind of um, it started making a little bit of sense or at least in the right direction. So uh, that's why I stepped away from, from purely architecture um, just to get closer to that. Um, and, yeah, it's been a, been a journey for the last, let's say, seven years. Seen seen um, how uh, different approaches happen in that. I've seen progression and I've seen regression. Um, I've also seen how different industries are trying or different sectors all the way from interior to architects to engineering. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's quite, there's quite a lot of different steps we talked about there. And what's really quite interesting for anyone that's even still, maybe they work in, in mainstream architecture. Now you consciously chose to have a career in BIM. And what was that transition like at first from moving away from mainstream architecture to um, strategic BIM implementation? Yeah. I was warned not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was still at Perkins Wall at that point. Um, my kind of uh, director told me, "Watch out! It, it's a it's a it's a phase 
but uh, it's going to fade out. Um, and uh, yeah, just be careful that you don't commit to it. And um, in a few years, you don't, you, you, you're, uh, you know, it's uh, watered down. So uh, I, uh, it was a little bit of a scary uh, <laughs> suggestion. Um, but um, for me, for me, actually, the ultimate goal was to step away, to be on the other side of the table, kind of on the blind side. So I felt that is one way to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But I also just felt um, being in the architecture field, you can't necessarily change it. I needed to be able to step out of it and have an overseeing kind of role. So. It, it was a risk, definitely a risk then. Um, didn't know as much as I know now. Um, so um, I had to kind of um, semi-fake it till I make it a little bit here and there. And and, and, and kind of, um, you know, there's, there's many people who know BIM a lot more than or better than me, or at least a lot of book knowledge about it. Um, but I don't think that is really what BIM is about. So, yeah. So it was a it was a scary step to take. I find that quite interesting, and I like it. I like what you touched upon in practical experience, and it's like everything in in life. And I've had the same thing where, you know, it, for instance, I used to run my own recruitment company, and until you actually do it for a while, I remember at first I was quite embarrassed to say I was a director because I was like, I'm not really a director. What what do I know? And and I think it comes over from time and experience and making mistakes and learning and and a lot of it, or even now in my current role, involves management. And I've never managed people before, and and that is a completely different uh, skill set that you you learn, and half of it through doing mistakes, and sometimes you know in terms of management or. I've learned not to be too overbearing or anything like that. And then on the other hand, on the flip side of the coin is if you're a bit too chilled or relaxed, then things don't happen. And then you get from the the, the, the higher powers, they're like, what's going on? And then you end up – and so what's really interesting is you talked a bit about – book and the level of knowledge of BIM. We talked about practical application. You talked about people as well, but that's what's where the interesting challenge for me has come from in terms of BIM is that effectively we've got the theory, but when you're um, steering a large architectural practice or like now in development and you're dealing with different people's different perceptions of BIM, you could be working with the architect who completely sees the future in it, the, the whiz kid who is good at it. And then you've got the tried and tested architect that's like, Rene, I'm good at AutoCAD, yeah? I don't need BIM. I'm doing the detail. So you've had to juggle with all these personalities. How has that been over the years? Or have you learned a lot of lessons there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I was at DPR, we, we, were, we were trying to turn the whole firm of 200 people into Revit users um, and BIM understanding from 30 or something like that. It's, it's just a huge task. And I had all of those personalities. So, um, and and to be honest, there is this is a valid thing in all of that. The problem is, um, you get people who um, they just talk them, but they don't know how to put a building together. They don't know how to plan production, so they can't even put it. You know, they don't know how to just bubble out on a paper how they're going to put a detail together. And that's and those are the, usually the ones that are um, the worst ambassadors for them. Um, 
And then, and then I've seen people who's been 30 years in the industry and for the first time they see their details on a screen and they realize it either doesn't work or they would have realized on site and, and the excitement and, and, and how that excitement then reaches them. Like, they, can, they can test their designs, that, uh, those amazing CAD details they've done. In, in, uh, in a better in a better way um, so I've seen people turn around I've I've done training with directors because that's the biggest challenge with them on in, in any kind of firm is the top brass that doesn't necessarily for them you know they, they've got their pressures it's all about money um, your, how you plan a CAD project versus um, uh, firm project is completely different it's not sheet based it's um it's it's development it's building virtually um and that's a mindset change so um i've actually sat with directors in a room gave them a puzzle said one of you you actually one of you've got the picture you know how the puzzle needs to explain to the others how to build that puzzle and that's kind of um so if you think about cad days you um, you kind of had a need to know approach. So someone would sit in the corner, look, you just need to know how to do this toilet cubicle. No, you can't do that. Uh, the most junior person on that team actually will have to learn very quickly how to put a building together because they're going to put it together on a, on a computer, uh, which is actually a good thing. So that in, uh, incremental growth could be quicker if we take it, if we approach it right. It's really interesting, and I quite like the the bits you highlight as well. That it's really important your experience in the industry, which informs BIM. So you know, then you're looking at it from a practical application. You're seeing how the architects have built it because you've been one yourself. You've been in that position, so you can properly advise on that process and kind of adapt from there. Um, that's what I find I find really interesting. And I tell you what, touching upon it because we've known each other for over those years, and I think a lot of recruitment that I've done has been involved in BIM and there's so many angles to it. There's so many different theories. Everyone has different weird and wonderful ways. And I've heard it all as well when I to one or two business owners go to me, Steve, why should I even bother with BIM? And in the end I turn around and go, if you don't want to do BIM, don't do BIM. Hey, <laughs> everyone else is doing it, but it's up to you. You know, if you want to get left behind, hey, that's your risk. I'm not going to tell you you're on your building. Whereas I think there's a little bit of that sometimes. And I think now, though, the general consensus, though, in London is that I think that the large majority of practices are there or moving towards there. And, you know, your role in, in terms of EPR, actually, what's quite interesting, it, they were one of the one of the first. And what, what's interesting, and you know from that, because you, you, you're a man who's traveled the world and come to the UK and you, you work here now. But actually, the UK, we were far behind compared to a lot of the world at the time in terms of the BIM process. So it's completely getting there now. I mean, to touch upon it briefly, what have you seen much change since since joining the EPR in 2015 to just before you were your next step or what the BIM world? How has it changed? Uh, the, the, the the funny thing is, I don't think it has changed. I think there's a mm. <clears throat> there's a plateau that's been reached, and um, 
um, it's um, a lot of architects and or, or um, consultants have taken on BIM, but it's a it's a surface layer. So it is, yeah, we do BIM. Uh, we do it because it's it's kind of needed or it's it's the it's the new thing, but we really don't commit to it. So our drawings are still our final um, results. And uh, we'll give you a model, but the model doesn't necessarily, you can't really look at it. Um, so we're still stuck in a semi-CAD world. Um, and yeah, and, and, and it's still the majority of firms are doing that. So we're not, we're not putting out, we can't, well, it's, it's obviously there's many factors. We uh, uh, can't put your neck out and, and um, um, take that risk. Um, so there needs to be a, a next step, next change where it's, you know what, we're working in this geometry. Let's move um, design intent, um, uh, make sure that that design intent can be built. And it ties mm. in really nicely to the golden thread, and um, you know, don't don't do a um, uh, a planning model and dump it, and then do something else, or then a subcontractor resolves your issues, take it through. So yeah, only then we really get get the results. It's really interesting, and I appreciate. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's. I've seen a few, and there's been an example in terms of recruitment many years ago where I helped find a BIM manager or a job at a successful mm-hmm. architecture practice. And I've had both examples where, for instance, um, where an architectural practice embraces BIM, pushes on, and they really, really help that BIM manager. And that you have that, uh, that, that relationship you were talking about before, if you actually have the, the backing of the directors and it, and it trickles down, and therefore that person can make a lot of change. You know, AHMM is a really good example of a good employer that had that. And then I've got one or two um, examples as well where I remember before a company was asked for a BIM manager, like, we need a BIM manager, Steve. And then the this person rocks up and you know oh oh, yeah we're going to change we're going to change and then it was the other example of so imagine you're there you're the bin guy in the corner and then there was an aspect of not being some of the directors weren't on board it was like well we've got that project and we're not going to change that because that's in microstation and you know and it goes back to that thing of do you really want to push bin and then there's a level of it at, at some point where it's like if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But don't then say you're going to do because you mm. basically with them everything. Everyone needs to be committed for it to move along and the whole process. And and that's why I, I felt that the really good skill of a good BIM manager and it requires a lot of patience and 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 it requires a lot of these skills. But actually, you're effectively change agents, and and it and half of it is winning over people. So. How many mm-hmm. countless times have you been in that situation where you've just you slowly you chip away and you get everyone to come with you, right? Yeah, no, that that's very true. <laughs> that's that's not a skill that they put on the on the job descriptions <laughs> or anything like that, but it is. It can make or break it. You, you either end up being just um, you just fall into what what suits and you just maintain templates and you just go with it. Or you um, get in there, you get into the legal aspects, you get into the um, 
why are people struggling to adopt it? Um, you know, there's many approaches from, you know, take on that first project, try and put everything in there, make it a success. But it doesn't always translate to the next project. It's 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 never a smooth, uh, you know what, we're going to grow from this project and it snowballs to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and then... And then uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes it's a half in, half out manager slash architect. Um, you know, oh, okay. The, the the one person in the office was like, oh, give give yeah. them to Jeff. You know, that That's happens a lot in architecture, pra- uh, smaller architecture practices yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, probably medium ones as well. Um, mm. So um, it's. Um, I think the ones that are really successful is with those directors um, because you won't see the success immediately. You won't see the benefits of it. it it's, uh, it's, it's a long-term game, but once it's there, you can do more. It, it takes you a bit longer to get there, but you can do more. You can show more. You can probably um, you know, you, you tap into better technologies where you could probably give better data. You can, you can start tapping into maybe computational design and all of those mm. kind of things. But, yeah, it's uh, top-down, but, um, yeah, you've got to have that skills, I would say. Well, I think there's some definite pearls of wisdom out there, and maybe there's some nodding heads in the BIM community. But the point is, well, you, you've got to keep with it, and you can actually use you can make a positive change, and you've seen that happen at APR. So moving on from APR, because it's quite exciting in terms of the next step of your career, which I would love to. I think it'd be a great little um, fascinating to discuss the fact that so at APR Arctics is a traditional architectural practice, a good commercial architectural practice, and you were involved in that process. So what you now do is you work at Berkeley um, Developments. In particular, you are the BIM lead for the modular division, which a, I think is quite cool because in my head I imagine you kicking kicking ass doing the bim on, in the in there in the factories with the robots. You know, I kind of in my head feel there's a bit of that Tesla thing, you know, where you're in the cutting edge and you're you've got the factories. But do you want to give like a little me- mm. mental picture to anyone listening of what it is like? A, at a developer, but then maybe the modular aspects of that and mm. how it all ties in with BIM. So I was I was pleasantly surprised when I found the role. Um, I I kicked a few tires after my previous uh, role because I know that the variances in what is out there in the roles um, uh, as far as the BIM BIM career path. Um, uh, what it is a uh, BIM manager in one office is a BIM coordinator in another office, um, those kind of things. You work either as a consultant or you are project-specific, um, so on and so forth. So I tested the waters from contractors to consultants to big firms, that, you know, big names and all of that. Um, and then I took a chance. I, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Job description had... 50 60 percent of it i've never heard of so it wasn't just a, yeah, so the title was a BIM title but then there was um there was uh lean principles there was mes uh there was you know, fabrication uh, items mentioned in there okay well it's good to go so um and what, what i was pleasantly surprised i was um blown away after the first uh meeting so BIM is a the way I can sum it up 
um, is, is, a, is a methodology that is trying to bring us to where manufacturing has always been. So many, or not always been, but is. So manufacturing is, takes logic. They learn, they stop. They don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, if you think about car industry, you'll have one chassis that will be used by many different uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have a dashboard. There's, there's place for buttons, but not all of the buttons are in there. Um, but there's a there's a you know a, a, a very uh, it's kind of you step away and you look at so you don't reinvent an apartment because an apartment is you know there's two three bedrooms da da da. Um, so I yeah I was I was really pleasantly surprised. And then what I find is uh, so obviously we are we are driving to have digital twins. Built, and that's going to literally be used um, by machines to, first of all, we're going to have really funky um, robot arms that will pick up steel and weld. So uh, they, that will be in November. So we're yeah. looking forward to that. Um, yeah. And then we'll have machines creating, cutting boards, moving them along, all of that. We'll have, there's a human component always uh, at the end, uh, finishing things off. But for the first time um, in my career, um, something will be built directly of a model that I'm producing or my team mm. and my team are producing. So it is so important. The model is all of a sudden the most important thing. Um, the um, We are trying to, to create a manufacturing um uh, principle, but we have half our foot still in a traditional design process. So, part of what my my team is doing, we're trying to bridge that gap. So, from stage from stage zero, and we're in a fortunate position where um, most other modular companies are, let's say, subcontractors. So they get involved later on, like contractors would, which is a big problem in the BIM process methodology because if the stakeholders aren't involved early on decisions get made later and then it makes changes so we're in a position where we can drive how things need to be done so that we can have a seamless flow of geometry and data so from from the day Barclay decides that site's going to be modular we're in there so Mm. for me that's the first opportunity where I can see I can actually use BIM properly it's, it's um, um and to be honest we actually don't even talk about BIM that much because it's beyond that um and I'll, I'll get into that so it starts with our eir where we actually say look this is how you do it this is what you use um our our stage two models that are get designed are actually we know that it could be built so right. it's not just a, a uh, a, a planning approved model it's actually um, that model we know can be built and there is a 20% left of a refinement it's 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 fascinating to me it's a, where it, where i find it interesting what you were talking about is because you have complete access to the factory you are the developer you are building this stuff you are effectively laser printing um you know like me and the student when you're a laser printer and you've got that feedback of basically if you don't set up that model correctly then it can print out and it's like stuff like 
the lessons that learned, you know, when you've got um, the laser printing or the plastic printer before, if you set it up wrong, mm. you can cut, you can get a hundred pound bill as a student. And I've had that before because I didn't make the insides hollow. And you're like, mm. Oh no, mm-hmm. Oh no, I've racked up this massive cost. But then at the same time, I remember before with certain laser cutters and processes that if you don't print stuff in a certain way, they actually don't fit. And I'm talking about things very basic, yeah. but effectively when you've got this, it's what you're talking about for in terms of Berkeley developments and, and what you do in the modular. There's effectively, it does go out to a factory and you yeah. are talking about apartments. You're talking about amazing stuff. And the advantage I see and why I'm actually on board with modular is you're not replacing quote unquote traditional ways. There's a, there's a revolution to it. But what I quite like is it could be the end solution is if you get down all this process and what you're on about is the BIM process and all that involved, if you can get them decisions in and you effectively keep the cost down, then that that goes to the end user. And what we're talking about is potentially even solutions for the housing crisis where you can rack up good quality housing or modular housing and make a difference. Mm. But it really is, you are doing it for real. That's the difference, isn't it? you You've got the factory. You're there working out the process, and you, you're going ahead with it. We're not talking about something which is conceptual. You're doing it live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't built anything yet. It's going to go next year, but we Great. are we are um, we're making amazing um, progress. We are not only in you know the, the factory is the last bit of it. It's preparing for it. Um, the, the type of drawings we are doing is IKEA assembly type drawings. It's different, it's, but we can only get there if um, by the end of stage three, um, everything is aligned and we can we you can trust that that whole process has been properly done so that um, it's coordinated. Um, uh, we. Um, so it's a, it's it's a challenge I mean, uh, to 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 um first of all um uh fees for instance you you're pushing a little bit more work early on in stage 2 right. already so um that needs to change so squeezing architects fees very early on doesn't help because they actually will resolve stage 3 level information already in stage 2 right. Uh, MEP much earlier on. For us, it's at that granular level in that apartment. We need to know the insulation around those things. We need to know which equipment, the real equipment, is going to be used. So we've thrown out the LOD process. We've written our own matrix um, because it doesn't tie into REBA stages. We want more, uh, much more, much earlier. Um, and then it is. We have our internal client, which is ultimately the factory right next door, which, um, you know, I don't want some some angry guy with the iPad <laughs> coming up and say, well, I've just sent 20 tons of materials down here and it's wrong. Uh, can't hide from it. So, um, <laughs> and, and that is scary, but it's actually in, in our virtual environment, we can test it, we can run analysis, we can do all of those things. Uh, and again, by gateways and, and the methodologies uh, if to get there. So, 
It's interesting. And so you're effectively coordinating your own team now. So what would be really interesting for anyone that's kind of curious and may know they work in an mainstream architectural practice, and we're talking about working for a developer, what have you learned in terms of uh, in terms of yourself or maybe more on your team, what kind of personalities do really well in this environment? Because I imagine it's a completely different scenario than mainstream architecture and it might not work for everyone, but who, who kind of responds really well and who becomes a valuable addition to the team? Mm. So it's um, especially in Barclay Modular because we're actually a startup in a big, big business mm. that's got very established ways of doing things we are breaking the rules a little bit or we're pushing the boundaries. So uh, just using Skype as new. Um, so, it's, it's, uh, so we are the, the kind of newbies in the factory somewhere in Kent that are using all kinds of um, tools that IT is not supporting it and all of those kind of challenges. But um, uh, we are challenging because, because indirectly we are challenging the bigger box group, how they do things. In their, um, how do they appoint the consultants? That's got to change. They've got to be open for you know paying them that fees. Um, they've got to um, accept that they've got to produce um, more detailed um, elements so that we can coordinate it. So it's a, it's a whole game change of that that, that approach. Um, so inside Barclay Modular, it's really um, nothing is established. Uh, things that I planned and templated a year and a half or a year something months ago some of it's now doesn't look at all the same so i continuously mm. have to revise it because it is not it's not um it's not what i'm used to. it's not a standard um template that you'll use in an architecture firm or anything because we have different um clients you know we have a manufacturing we use a recruitment we have a logistics the guy who's going to swing the cranes uh, around um different bits of information um, um i have um, automated information we actually have now managed to generate hundreds of drawings uh, in 10 minutes by by pressing a button wow. uh, and um that's again. That's we spend months and months understanding what is a draw, what this needs to be on this drawing, and what's the logic. Can we dimen- what, what, what can we tell the program from that point to that point? Always dimension. So, to get back to your question, uh, it's there's a there's a little bit of um, basic understanding of of our software, the software, and then who knows? Uh, I can probably guarantee you in two years from now the software we're using now we won't potentially use because things are changing. Um, we, we've, um, so it's someone who's, who's willing to be able to operate in a, an environment where you roll up your sleeves, you open-minded. Mm. Um, someone who's also uh, doesn't have tunnel vision. Step back and say, I just did this for a week. How can I do it in a day? And that's the manufacturing approach, which I've now started learning, you know, lean approach, cut the waste, um, which I've, I still find in, in, in our design consultants um, uh, firms is still prevalent. And uh, it, it depends also on um, uh, star individuals that keeps things in their head and doesn't share. 
um, where, yeah, you have to jot it down. You have to put the business intelligence on paper so that things can move forward. So you don't have to go back and reinvent. Um, so it's very broad, but yeah. I like it. I think um, I quite enjoyed your uh, analogy there of you respect Berkeley, you respect the old ways, but in, in sometimes to get the company forward, you have to be the disruptor in a good way because what you're on about is changing for the better. And uh, yeah, I agree. It sounds like to me that the kind of person, and I liked your analogy where you're saying, look, you can use one piece of software, but you've got to move on. And, and it sounds like the person that works really well with you on your team is someone that's agile. And it's basically, it's like you, it's the person that you can't you can't hide like in a big architectural practice on a big team here you it's someone that's out there willing to change and and the other bit it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier it's like them skills you're on about in terms of having difficult conversations about them you've got to be prepared to be on the you know next year as you say oh and the factory floor now and doing all this stuff and dealing with personalities and kind of standing up for yourself so but then on the other hand, you get the exciting aspect, don't you, then of you're part of something interesting. Every day is new. You get different tasks. You learn. As you say, you share, you giggle, you collaborate. But there's a, it sounds like there's a real nice team effort. And it sounds like it's not, quote, unquote, a plug-and-play job. You're innovating. Everything's a bit different. Is that a fair analysis? Yeah, absolutely. I'm learning every day. My team's learning every day. Um, we're actually much more technical than we, I've ever I've been for many years. So I actually need to understand and represent our brand or our product. So I, I've got to understand every nut and bolt of that, that element and as a team as well. So it, it takes you out of that comfort zone, especially if you've been in a BIM position where you don't need to understand the building. Now I have to. Because also, But understanding the building makes me make better decisions as well in, in implementing technology and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is, it's, um, it's, um, I've got a, I've got a lovely group of, um, uh, and, and my team who are pushing the boundaries. They, um, they, they've got, we all have the same goal. We want to see those machines run smoothly and, um, mm. and, um, but also we have the same passion about how the industry is going to learn from this. Um, and and uh, we, we already seeing changes in our interactions with um, consultants. Um, and I think it's going to grow from there. So, yeah. It's really fascinating. And uh, I think, again, it's kind of being ahead of the curve because we talked about modular. It's such an obvious choice for the future right now. Um, but the more and more, I, the more and more, even in terms of what I'm involved in, in terms of recruitment, the modular is definitely a prevalent sector, and it's it's definitely going to go that way. So I find that really interesting. In terms of you mentioned next year, you're going to be gearing up. You're going to be you're going to be building things on site. It sounds like you're excited for architecture. What I was going to say now is what. It's a bit of a stressful time. I don't want to bang on about coronavirus because we're all fed up of the news. We're all fed up of that. Uh, it's it's a it's a bit of a tough and tricky time as well. It's really good to hear that things are going out to factory and and you're kind of gearing up for that next level. If, for instance, anyone's in a bit of an unfortunate situation right now where maybe they're in between jobs or you know like good companies that 
may be involved in the transport sector, they've suffered and you have really good talented people out there that which could be demoralized. Do you have any tips or pearls of wisdom for someone currently looking for a job right now to soldier on? Yeah, I mean it is it it's hard and it, and and let's face it, it is um it's it's a bit of a unique downtrend. Um the and and I've been re, I've been recruiting so I've been, you know, seeing people who's come come out of these um, companies. Um, mm. uh, I found people that are still in comfort zones, or they they're looking for the next comfort zone. It's it's um, you know very talented people. I great CVs, put buildings together, um, but they they they're not willing to. They can't see that next step, and that that's mm. fair enough. Um, uh, you know, I can see how coding, computational design will play a role because you'll have mm. you'll have your Lego blocks to play with. You know, have some standards. A lot of people think about modular as restrictive to design. Um, I don't think it is actually. So it's it's um, you if you think about apartments, they're always rectangular. You know, they always have a specific format. Don't have, you don't have many round apartments or or triangle apartments. They always a certain set of rectangles or blocks or whatever. Once you can get over that, you don't feel you need to do that, and then you can do the niceties. So the eighty twenty percent. So eighty percent solved. Then do a nice facade. Do the, the surrounding. Do the the core and the, and the, the the common areas because that's where the nice things. So. I've I've come across um, architects who are nervous about it because it's like oh you're taking away a lot of our no uh, and the same with technology uh, you know we we keep on talking about it at some point we're automating our drawings do we really need a big team uh, yeah we will we will just do more and we'll do it in a better way and, and things like that so um, and there will be companies who will need less people if they embrace the technology but it doesn't mean um, uh, it just means there's more efficiency, and it means there is there is more scope to do quick, quicker things. Housing crisis is one example. If we mm. can crack this and do these things in a sufficient way, who knows? Maybe that, that we, then we should be able to to crack it. But the current re- every time we do a building, we reinvent that building approach is is, is, is so dated. Um, so my pulls and wisdom is just. Um, there's no one specific skill necessary. I've seen people with computational and coding. Yes, those are important things, and they are on the on the edge of things. Um, uh, it's um, it's a willingness to to um, kind of forget what you've learned and relearn. Um, that's where the difference will be. And and the people I've got got here is all of them had that kind of attitude saying, well, you know what? Um, yeah, I'll give it a go. And, and, it, and it works. So, um, yeah. I think that's great. And I'd like to, I'd like to add that while it is tough, there are definitely still jobs out there and everyone can feel demoralized, but it's, um, it's something we all have to go through. And, and I, I spoke to, 
um, perhaps uh, so a client of mine, but also a good friend, uh, David Drews before, and, and he had a really good suggestion of um, sometimes, you know, don't get too bogged down in the news. If you kind of follow all the time the R rating, you're going to drive yourself into this um, into this hole. And, and the point is, there are glimmer rights. It is going to be tough, but you have to soldier on. On a lighter note, I'd love to hear, Rene, what have you been up to in during coronavirus time to keep yourself enthusiastic and energized? To, <laughs> apart from, you know, kicking ass and taking names in the Berkeley group and, and doing awesome modular, what have you been up to? Guitars yeah. or anything uh, like that? No, just hiking and, uh, yeah, just hiking. Basically hiking through through the UK. You know, places that you would no- normally not go to. And then, like, okay, get on a train, go in that direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then obviously I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I'm really passionate about what we're doing here. So I end up browsing and finding other solutions. But, yeah, just hiking, coast, and all of that. That's good. You've got to keep being outdoors because even myself, is you can quite easily get stuck in this bit of hole, this hole right now, especially with working from home. It's quite easy to get sucked in and you're working from home, then you finish, then you're at home and you just, you're going round and round. And I think that I learned as well is that you have to force yourself to get out, have that gym membership or, you know, go out, as you say, go hiking is a perfect example. Be socially distanced and, 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 but it's important to, to get out there because otherwise, yeah, you don't want to be stuck in front of the computer. I'm very conscious I say this while we're doing a digital interview, but <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the balance, isn't it? It's the balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so brilliant. Okay, that's fantastic. And and you kindly said before, you know, down the line we can do some awesome, maybe more literal examples of show and tell or, or you yeah. know, how the BIM process and has plugged in on what you're up to. And I think that's great. So as well as that now, where if someone wants to reach out or they want to see all the work you've done and all the awesome things up you've you're up to where's the best way to find you and where's the best way to find what berkeley modular is up to yeah i mean um by all means link up with me on linkedin um and and have a chat uh we we don't publish too much on our website on berkeley modular um we are kind of quietly tinkering away and then at some point uh see what we are achieving um mm. so uh yeah by all means every now and then i post a little bit of something on my linkedin um but uh to kind of watch the space because um doing massive things that are we will release once we you know when we see our boxes go off that that's that's when we're going to celebrate and, and and then expose ah. a little bit Oh, I'm excited now. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled. I'll be, I, I can't wait to see those updates and I'm sure we can talk about them then. And I completely get it. You're kind of work in progress, you know, you're learning every day. You kind of, you're getting the stuff done. And I guess the point is we're going to be seeing all these ma- awesome residential when they fresh out of the factory. Who knows? You put me down for one, Renee. I, yeah. Okay. And hopefully we can, we go way back. So hopefully I can get a little discount on the, yeah, on the can get a discount and <laughs> i can't afford those we're not we're doing very high end stuff so unfortunately i'll see those boxes maybe I, we can arrange a truck to, to stop somewhere yeah maybe maybe one day right one day the see-through special you can you can give me option b12 with the extra uh generous conservatory part. thank you so much Rene. i really appreciate it and thank you so much for your time all right cheers steven thank you